to begin with us today. If you have not been with us these last few weeks, uh, I'm going to actually encourage you to listen to the podcast, Pastor Jade and Pastor Christy. Thank you for this opportunity to share through this revelation of what the Lord's been doing in this Advent series. Have you guys been finding great revelation? If you guys have been finding great revelation during this time of Advent, what an opportunity it has been to go through this season with this anticipation, with this longing, with this expectation of the arrival of the birth of Jesus, as well as the expectation for his coming, for his second coming. There has been something inside of me that has so changed my heart and my perspective on what's about to happen and what's going to happen and what did happen when Jesus came. And we're going to share a little bit about that today. I just want to encourage you guys that this message and the messages that have happened these last few months, a few weeks over the course of this month, I pray that you will take time to listen to them and allow the Lord to shape your heart. Man, I went through that repentance. The first uh, sermon that Pastor Jade, as he laid it out for us in Advent, of this expectation, this longing, and it gave me a different perspective of not just looking forward to Christmas, but it gave me an expectation to look forward to what these weeks had in store for us leading up to Christmas. As I was studying this and understanding Advent a little bit more, I understood that Advent is really the beginning of the calendar. It's the, really the beginning of, of the way that we do church and the church life. It's really the beginning of that calendar. It's the start of it's a, everything's about to go down. And so something's about to change on that Christmas morning. And so we're going to kind of talk about that. And the second week when Mr. Bernard Dickerson, what a great message on repentance and leading us into repentance during that week. I found myself repenting. (laughs) And I found myself really repenting for my mindsets. I'd found myself thinking incorrectly. And Pastor Jade broke this down last week in, in a different way. And I, we were talking about this within the youth. It's not that I thought completely wrong. It's just that it didn't include Jesus in the equation. Repentance is saying, God, I'm not thinking the way that you're thinking. So help me think the way that you're thinking so that I can live in Advent, so I can live in expectation and longing for you. And then last week, when Dr. Jim spoke to us in a time of healing to highlight the theme of the anticipation for this healing to come, this anticipation for something to go on inside of us and inside of relationships, inside of marriages, inside of our community so healing may come during that time. What an expectation it was for us to have. And today we're gonna continue that series and we've been titling these, these topics under a time to love through watching, through repentance and through healing. And today is a time to love through love, a time, a time to love during this Advent series. Let's open our Bibles today in Matthew 1, 18. This passage will seem very familiar to you, but I'm going to read it. We're going to follow along today of what the Lord's doing here in the Advent of a time to love. Matthew 1, 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I'll give you a story here in a minute. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. My, and he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel or God with us. When Jesus woke up, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. You know, I think as I've been reading this week and studying on this topic, I think God is one of the greatest screenwriters ever imaginable. He wrote this moment and this time of Jesus. And if we, I'm gonna take this, I'm gonna break this down and maybe shed a different light on this. But I want us to understand in this moment, there's a story happening. Joseph and Mary are sitting in front of everybody in that time where you were betrothed to somebody, where you were pledged to be married to somebody, it was public knowledge. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't like in some like, you know, just off in the woods and nobody knew like, hey, I want to marry you. No, this was like everybody. Guess what? You know, those two kids that we've seen growing up together. Yeah, they're getting married now. Everybody knew that this was about to happen. And then all of a sudden, Joseph hears from Mary and Mary goes, hey, um, so I'm pregnant. And Joseph, probably like every other guy like this. Okay, and so he's sitting there in that moment. Mary goes, I'm pregnant. And so he's the first question that comes to mind, like any of us would think, who? I mean, it automatically be who? And then all of a sudden she's like, well, that God of the name that we don't say, you know, the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of the world, that's who. This scene is as comical as it is. You're sitting there, and Joseph's like, wait a minute, that guy, I'm not even gonna say his name, but that, he, no, really? And so now, Joseph's like, he's probably like any of us saying, I need time to think. I need time to think. I, I'm just gonna, I think he probably said, hey, let's pause this conversation. I'm gonna go over to my place. I'm gonna sleep. Let's sleep on it and let's talk tomorrow. Are you okay? Are you feeling all right? And so she's like, no, I'm pregnant. Okay, let's talk later. So Joseph, this sounds like the beginning of a Nicholas Sparks movie. And so this really... <clears throat> As I've been like listening to this, some of my favorite type of movies, it's all romantic. This like is going to get really bad very quickly. And so all of a sudden, Joseph goes to bed and then he hears this angel come to him and say, hey, don't be afraid. Everything's going to be all right. She's really pregnant from the Lord. And so now Joseph, in all of his mind, has to go back. And in, in verse 20, as we read here, it says that he considered this. He thought about what was about to happen. He's like, okay, Mary's pregnant. What am I going to do? And he's thinking in himself because the word says that Joseph is a faithful man or other scriptures would say, other writings say that he was a righteous man. So he followed the law. He knew what to do. He's like, okay, if I decide that I'm going to divorce her publicly, she would actually be stoned. He has a lot to think about in that one moment. Am I going to publicly disgrace her or I'm going to protect her. If I protect her, I could do this quietly and nobody knows. Angel of the Lord comes to him in his sleep and it says, hey, you're going to do this. And he's like, all right. So he wakes up the next morning and the scripture says that he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. We find him in a situation where he's like, okay, I'm going to do this. Well, I don't know about you, but if I decided to tell a story to all my friends during that time that my 
soon-to-be fiance was pregnant by the God of the name that we don't say, the Alpha and the Omega. I'm not sure, the Alpha and the Omega, I'm not sure that I'm telling everybody that story. <laughs> Just saying, I'm not sure that people are gonna believe me. Because you see, at that time, you're gonna tell that story and everybody's gonna think moment, in that one moment, you're crazy, bro. You're crazy, Joseph. You're crazy that you're gonna stay with this person that said, hey, I'm pregnant now. Now, I love this in verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. Why? Because you see, Joseph was a righteous man. He was a faithful man. He was faithful to the law. You know, in a minute here, I'm gonna give us some background to that. Matthew 118 1, 16 and 18 make it very clear that Jesus' birth was from different than any other Jewish boy named in the genealogy of Matthew and Luke. Do you see something really interesting? If you look at the genealogy in Matthew and you look at the genealogy in Luke, you actually find that Matthew approaches it from the father and Luke approaches it from the son. It says the son of, the son of, the son of. Matthew says the father of, the father of, the father of. And it's just these two approaches that I find very interesting as you look at those things. And there's one little tweak inside there. One little tweak inside there. Matthew will actually come from uh, David to Solomon and go all the way down to Jesus. And Luke's account will actually give us from uh, David to Nathan all the way down to Jesus. Still coming into the account of royal priesthood. Now, Matthew... Um, Jesus is never explicitly referred in any of those contexts as Joseph's son or vice versa. Now, I find that very interesting. When I read this, I was talking to a pastor about this, and I just read this, and I had this freeing inside of me. All of a sudden, it dawned on me that Jesus was part of a blended family. It dawned on me in that one moment that Jesus, Joseph, was not his dad, biological dad. But when Joseph said that he was going to do what the angel commanded, that means that he was going to choose to love this son as his own. That's one of the hardest choices that someone has to make in a relationship. How do I know? I know that firsthand. I, I was born in the context of something very similar like this, but my dad, who I know as dad, told my mom before I was born, he said, I'm gonna love this boy like he was my own. Now, what do I, what do we, that choice in that one moment changes the trajectory of what's happening here because you see, God could have had his way and he could have just had Jesus come to a virgin of a young lady and then all of a sudden, not in a relationship, he could have just said, boom, here's Superman, da da da, here we go. Let's change the world. But instead, he decided to bring Jesus into the context of what would look like in our society as a broken relationship. Everybody knowing this story. Why? Why would he do that? I'll explain to you here in a moment why he did in a certain way that I think. Now, as we look at some of these gospels, and I'm just gonna give a little bit of reference background here, we'll understand that Matthew's gospel was actually being shown to the Jewish people. And that during that time, Greek mythology was, I mean, it was huge. Everything was that way. So it wasn't inconceivable to people to think, oh my goodness, this Greek God, like they've heard stories like this. Like a virgin uh, mother gave birth to this child and then there was a God that saved, you know, whatever name they wanted to give him, Hercules. And here's the deal. During that time, that wasn't unheard of. So when Joseph was telling the story that Mary was pregnant from the God of the name who they don't say, it was a little bit of a, of, of a stretch but they're like, this is like Greek mythology. And what I said here is the, the legend of the Messiah had become a myth. 
had really become a myth because if we realize this, it had been 400 years till God had said anything or done anything. We see from the end of Malachi to the beginning of Matthew, nothing's going on. And we realize that all of a sudden something's about to happen. Something's about to change. This myth, this legend is now becoming reality. And we've got to realize that Matthew was taking a risk in telling this story to the people of his time. And he knows that, hey, something is different here. Regardless of the audiences that Luke and Matthew were talking to, God's love for people was always the message. God's love towards and for the people was always the message. These two audiences, these two messages were necessary for the audiences of those that were religious. You see, the religious people believed, I don't need the Messiah, we're good to go because I can do everything by the law and I'm good to go as long as I follow this law. But this message was also necessary to those that were broken. You see, the broken people didn't feel like they deserved it. Luke was writing to the outcast, to the one that didn't feel like they deserved it. And you see, this love and this message was the same. As Jesus came to the world, Jesus came to a world in, of sin in need of salvation, which is why it's critical for us to see that ultimately Jesus is God's son. The problem of sin needed a divine solution. And part of the purpose of the virgin birth of Jesus is to show us that the salvation does not come from man, but from God. Love does not come from man, but from God. Love alone is not something that we've conjured up or that we've done, but you see Joseph demonstrated love by obeying commands of the Lord. John 14, 15 says that if you love me, you'll obey me. It actually says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. You see, Joseph showed his love by instantaneously obeying the command of the Lord that was through the messenger of the angel. We also see Joseph's loving obedience was going to be louder than the whispers of condemnation that he would soon visit and hear. You think that people would forget this story? No, we're still talking about it 2,000 years ago. It's already passed. We're still talking about this story, but we see it packaged a little bit differently. We're like, oh, God came, and it's this really amazing moment, but we don't talk about all the dirt that it came into, the chaos that it actually really came into, the fact that it didn't look like it was supposed to look in our eyes. So I decided as we studied this that I wanted to know where does love come from? Where does it begin? I had a thousand love songs in my mind, <clears throat> What's love got to do with it? All right, so little Tina Turner for us this morning. First John 4, 8, if we'll turn there with me, First John 4, 8 gives us an understanding of where love comes from. Where love comes from, it says, verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Okay, if God is love, love is God. That's the origination. I can see that. But let's give you one more just so we know where we're at. We'll go to verse 16 here. John, 1 John 4, 8, or 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. So the root of love is actually in God himself. God is love. Love is God. We're going to, we're going to, they're, uh, they're, they're not, ah, my voice today, they're the same. We'll just use that word. Okay. <clears throat> you see, when Jesus came to earth, 
This is the incarnation of love. I'll say that again. When Jesus came to earth, this is the incarnation of love. Love manifests itself in human form through the birth of Jesus. If we did not find ourselves, we, do you realize there was not love like what we're about to experience here in a moment through the birth of Jesus until Jesus came? Love does not show itself this way, and I'll show you how this works here in a moment, but what we have to understand is if we know where love comes from, we also have to know what love is. If we turn back just one chapter, we can look at John 3, 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. I love it when they tell you directly in the word what something is. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to think about it. It's simple. Love is this. What love is? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, do not let us love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. And we'll come back to that here in a minute. But we find that God is love and love is laying down your life for someone else. Today, I'm probably gonna challenge what we thought love is. Love, as we know, is not just a feeling or a secondhand emotion, if you know where that comes from. <clears throat> It's not just something that we feel, it's actually something that we must believe in truth and that we must have an action about. In order for you to truly love, you must have an action in truth and 1 Corinthians gives us the actions that we're supposed to have. We hear this passage very often in the context of a wedding and sometimes we've heard it in the context of how we're supposed to live, but I want us to see it a little bit more in the angle of if this truly is who God is, and he's telling us these things, and these things we can all name, love is kind, love is patient, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor, it's not self-seeking, it's not even easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong, it does not delight in evil, rejoices with the truth. Watch this, love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, and love always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's put this in the context of us here in a moment. And I thought about this. I said, now that we've got like the basketball of love and we've got the court of love and we've got like the hoop and everything, we know what we got. We got all these elements to actually participate and play in the game of love, right? We know where it comes from. We know what it does. We know how it's beginning. We know all those pieces. So you've got all the equipment to actually play the game. Now it's time for us to play the game. And how we do that is we got to identify what are we supposed to do or who are we commanded to demonstrate our love towards? Okay, three people or three um, individuals that God tells us to love. Number one, God says the greatest commandment of all is what? Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind. We know this. It says love the Lord God, okay? That's the first person we are to demonstrate our love towards. Matthew 22, verse 37. This is where this comes from. I'll just read it just to make sure you guys know I'm looking at my Bible here. All right. Love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Let's just start there. This is simple, right? Okay, good. Get this. The next one, 
maybe a little bit easier, maybe a little bit harder, but it says the second greatest commandment as we hear, if we read verse 38, it says, and the second, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So there's two individuals in there that's loving yourself and loving your neighbor. So now we know I've got to show this, this is really like, I mean, you're like, love yourself. I know it's weird, but it, it, this is, well, I'll show you this in a minute. The third one that we see is, let's go to Matthew 5. This one we don't talk about too much, but Jesus gave us this commandment. And I think it's very interesting as we talk today about love. You see Matthew 5, verse 43 and 44 says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I wish it would have stopped there. It would have been easier. But I tell you, love your enemies. Dang it, Jesus. Just stop. At first, that, that one's, you're fine. Quit talking. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Hold on. I can get love your Lord God. With, man, you're God. I can love you with everything. I could get love yourself and love your neighbors. I could get these concentric circles. I can get that. But then you go tell me to love that person that don't love me and that I don't like? Mm-mm. I'm not on that. But then you also tell me that I got to pray for him? Jesus, this is a stretch. What I want you guys to hear from today is that it's easy to love someone that we like. It's easy to love someone that we like. It's the more difficult route and it's the way of the lamb to love someone that you don't like. Why? Because the first two commandments, he's like, hey, this is the greatest. This is the second greatest. Oh, I'm gonna just throw this third one in and see who listens. See who really wants to follow the way of the lamb. You see, I read this earlier in 1 John 3, 18, but love requires truth and actions in the context of relationships. You will know how much love you have based on the love that you express to an enemy. That's how much love you'll know. Do you know how much love that the Lord have for us? John 3, 16 said, for God so loved the world in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their depravity, in the midst of all their brokenness. I love them so much, I'm gonna send my son. That's how I show love. These people that don't like me, the people that don't care about me, the people that are going to persecute me, the people that are going to call me down, that are going to shame me, that are going to, everything like this. He said, I'm going to put my son right in that midst of that so I can show people how to love. See, in this season, in this advent, in this time that we're in, this is an opportunity for us to love our enemies. This is an opportunity for us to take the birth of Jesus and in his fullness and say, God, what you did on that morning and that time, I'm going to take that. I'm going to apply that to all the people that I don't like. Let's see where our love really is. I'll show you. I'll show you. Now, as we continue on this, <laughs> I, thought, I had this thought. I think sometimes we say, I love you. Like, it's this declaration. And we're like, I love you. But do you know if you don't follow it with any action or truth, it's void of power. I had this episode in my mind of this TV show I used to watch and inside there this guy comes out and he's like, you know, if you declare bankruptcy, everything will go away. So he ran outside and he goes, I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> and the other friend of his goes, uh, you can't, that's not how you declare bankruptcy. I don't think, I think that's what we've done with love. We're like, I love you. And we didn't do anything. We haven't like, we haven't like found the truth of it. We haven't like, we're just like, I love you. 
I love you. We can throw it around. I love you. I mean, I love this. I love this. I love this. But where my heart, where my heart is, there's a treasure there. Where I put my time, there's a treasure there. I must put myself in a situation that says, let me see where my love truly is. Let me see how I'm expressing my love. Now, how is this love demonstrated? By the Father, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That's how that love is demonstrated. God demonstrated the great, I still can't fathom this. I've thought about this moments after moments, and I thought to myself, do I have enough love that I would give up one of my children so that other people would live? Like, I have, have I got to that reality? Have I got to that depth where I'm like, the answer is you, son. Where I'm gonna just give, it, give you up, and I don't know how they're gonna treat you, I don't know what they're gonna do to you, but you're the answer, and I'm gonna give you up. Not knowing what's ultimately how they're gonna treat him, and I think this is something that we must think about and ponder in this season of Advent, because how did Jesus demonstrate his love while he was here on earth, it was in an, what I call an inconceivable way. Nobody could see it. Nobody understood it. How Jesus demonstrated his love. Jesus demonstrated his love to the leopards. It's like, hey, I'm gonna heal you. You see, you don't heal someone if you don't love them. You don't heal someone just because you like them. You heal them because you love them. We don't wanna see people's healing just because, oh man, this, no, no. You wanna see someone's healing because you love them. Do you know why we walked through repentance a couple weeks ago? Because it's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Do you realize that his son coming here on earth, dying on the cross and all that, that's what leads us to repentance. It's out of love. Not out of like. It's out of love. Now we see this demonstrated in another time with Jesus where he washes the disciples' feet. An act of love. We see this when Jesus goes and has dinner with the tax collector. Do you realize everybody else was like, what are you doing? Why are you eating with that guy? He's our enemy. And Jesus is like, yo, I'm gonna go eat. I'm hungry. I'm gonna eat with this man. I'm gonna sit across from him because in that time as I was <clears throat> studying this in that time and sharing this, someone said to me, he said, do you realize in that time when he sat down with that tax collector, he basically told him, hey, I accept you. I wonder how many enemies don't feel accepted by us. Because it's easier to hurt, hold on to our hurt and our pain versus sitting at a table with them and communicating love to them. How many neighbors do we have that we haven't sat across the table for them and communicated love to them? This is an opportunity for us to reflect on that. Another person, people that Jesus had interaction with that he showed love to is Judas. Judas was going to be one of the greatest antagonists. He was gonna be the person that was like, hey, this, I'm gonna betray you. And Jesus the whole time knew the motives of his heart. And he said, he still showed him love. He never once was unpatient with Judas, unkind. We didn't read any of this. He wasn't like boastful around Judas. He didn't find himself, he always protected, he always trust, he always hoped, and he always persevered with Judas. That's how he showed love. Of course, we know the cross is another way that this love was demonstrated through the Son and the Father. Now in this season, we're, we were shown different ways to demonstrate love, and I'm just gonna share three of them as 
I'll get really close to closing here. Three ways that in the Advent time, here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to think of this. This is a time to love through three things. Very simple, but this is a time to love through three things. We're gonna stop in Matthew 5, 38. We're gonna start right there in Matthew 5, 38. And we're gonna read there today because love is found in the midst of relationships and it's demonstrated through actions and truth. Verse 38, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist the evil person. It's a setup. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to, t- to sue you and take your shirt or your coat, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them too and give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. These are acts of love. This is how we love through these things. Let me share this with you. The first thing that I believe that we are to love through during this Advent season is called insult. It's insult or degrading in any any way. It says in verse 39, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. To be struck on the right cheek in that world almost certainly meant being hit by the backhand. It had to come across like this. And what that meant is that you were causing that person and letting that person know that you were inferior to me. Typically, this would happen with a slave, with a child, and during their time would be a woman. An insult. It was a degrading. It was a pulling of down of their identity, implying that this model, or this, this is something to think about, some I teach students on a regular basis in schools, but do you realize one of the most intimate touches that we have as humans from person to person is what they call hand to face. It's that moment you see in those romantic movements, movies that they go like this, or like those of us from the Latin world, we got our grandparents and they're like, pobrecito. I mean, they like to grab our cheeks. And anytime a, a, a person is doing that, there's a transaction of intimacy happening. Do you realize if I went up to some of you and I went like this to your face, you'd go like this. Why? Because we don't have a relationship that way. There's no trust. I was, <laughs> I, was, I was explaining this to Pastor Jaden. I was sitting across from her at a coffee shop. Probably looks totally weird. But we're at a coffee shop and I kind of went like this and he didn't move. And I was like, nobody's watching. We're cool. Okay. <clears throat> but here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. That's an intimate touch. Now, what they're saying is that you get hit on the cheek. They're telling you, like, I'm breaking all that intimacy. I'm crossing that entire barrier and I'm violating our intimacy. I'm violating our relationship because you're less than. You're less than. Do you think that Joseph found himself in situations like this? Yes. We can learn this from Joseph during this time. Offering the other cheek implies hit me again if you like, but as an equal, not as an inferior. You see, when I hit you, with the, when I hit you on this cheek, you're a slave, you're less than. See, I could, we could probably find ourselves, there's probably justification that these people found. They're like, well, they're a slave, they're a child, they're less than. But now try to hit somebody that's equal. It's on the same level. See, God has no favorites. We're all sons and daughters. And I'll read that here in a minute as we end in this chapter. I think the second thing that we are to find ourselves loving through this year is through the shame and humiliation. Matthew 40 says, if anyone wants to see you, and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. You see, during that time, if I were to give you my coat, I'd be basically down to nothing. 
It's two garments they wore. That long thing, long shirt, and this like jacket. That would be a lot easier. That's why I like, <laughs> like I don't have to pick my clothes. I want that white shirt with that brown jacket the whole time. All right, so you got this coat and then someone's coming to sue you and they're like, give me your coat, give me everything. Give him everything. You see, Joseph knew that he was gonna face shame and embarrassment. Let's read this. This, was, this broke my heart when I read this. In John 8, 41, we don't have to go there. I just, John 8, 41, Jesus at a time talking about where we come from, fathers and, and mothers, like where is our history from? And John 8, 41 has got a bunch of group of people around him and they're like, this is my father. Our, we have a father, Abraham. And, it, you know, we're sons of Abraham, all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, John 8, 41, they go, Jesus is like provoking them. He's like making them think about where they're coming from. And all of a sudden, in John 8, 41, he says, he, the, the crowd says to him, at least we were not born of fornication. <laughs> 30 years later, they still know what happened with Joseph and Mary and Jesus. John 8, 41, the other versions will say, at least we're not Ill illegitimate children. They're still carrying this thing the whole time, creating Jesus to be an enemy. Now, this is just something I want to insert here, but now I think I have a little bit more revelation of why it says that a prophet is without honor in his own town. Why? Because they're still carrying the old stories. They never let it grow away. They created a stumbling block in their lives to say, man, he's the one born out of this adulterous relationship and fornication. So they couldn't see past the fornication and adultery to see what was on the other side, the Messiah. Because they carried that the whole time. Now watch this. The third thing that I think that we are to love through this season is injustice, pain, betrayal. If they force you to go a mile, go with them too. You see in that time a Roman soldier could actually ask you by law, force you by law to carry something for a mile. One mile, carry it for a mile. any of their equipment. But the law was so strict that it actually forbade the war Roman soldier to carry it more than that. They couldn't ask you for more than one mile. So what Jesus say? Go to and watch their face. What would happen? This guy all of a sudden, you're done with your one mile, the Roman soldier's about to go to your back to take whatever off your back, and then he just keeps going. He just keeps going. And you're like, what? Like he's, he's going to tell his commander, uh, captain, that guy's still going. There is no way he's going to tell him. He's going to be like, okay, if you want to go too, let's go too. What are you doing? Jesus was so amazing in his demonstration of love. You know why? Because everything that we're reading about right now is the way of the lamb. You know what we want to do? We want to react in a certain way. We want to go, I want to eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. I want to follow that. Jesus says, no, 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 I came and I'd be birthed so that I could show you a new way to love your enemies. How do we respond to this? I'll come into a close. How do we respond to this? A question that you can ask yourself this season is how can I reflect the generous love of Jesus? How can I reflect the generous love of God the Father? And I'm going to say, how can you do that to those who we don't like?
who we're not friends with? How can we love through insult, through shame and injustice? Well, we must walk as Jesus did the way of the lamb, because I'll tell you this with full confidence that it's worth the pain. It's worth the hurt. True love requires risk, and if you love this way, you will get hurt, but how you respond in the hurt will reveal your revelation and application of love. True love requires risk, and if you love this way, you will get hurt. You know how I know you'll get hurt? Because Jesus loved this way and ended up on a cross. Jesus loved this way and knew that he was going to be rejected, humiliated, filled with shame from comments of people. That's that guy from the fornication. That's the baby. That's the Jesus of that crazy mom. All the whispers of condemnation. Let's heed the word, though, of Matthew 120. You see, in Matthew and Luke, it's only, this is the only phrase that's the same from both scriptures. Do not be afraid. And how do I know that's something that we are to heed this morning as we do this? Because perfect love casts out all fear. Don't be afraid to love this way. Don't be afraid to love your enemies this way. Don't be afraid to love your neighbors this way. And can I be so bold to say, don't be afraid to love yourself this way. Don't be afraid to love your God this way. To realize it's funny, I think sometimes when we put ourselves up against the pattern of love that we were described, do you realize, I'm not sure we love too well. I'll go back. Do you realize how patient God is with you? How patient are you with others? I'll just stop. That's good good enough. I don't need to go down the rest, right? How kind are you to others? I'm not talking about nice. I'm talking about kind. How boastful are you? Do you know what boastful is? Boastful is the unwillingness to change your mindset. That's simply what it is. That's the basis of boastful. It's the unwillingness to change the way you want to think. You know why? Because the only time that when in our disagreements, marriages are about to say amen, but in our disagreements, here's what happens. You know when we get boastful is when we feel like the other person doesn't understand us. But if we came with the lens of Jesus, we would actually come with, hey, how do I understand you, partner? How do I understand you, wife, husband? Because you see, boastfulness like comes in there as a, as a disease, takes over. Is this how we love? You see, I think Jesus taught us a new way. He taught us a new way. I'm going to end with this. A couple statements. Love motivates the last three weeks that we've been talking about. Love motivates the watching. Do you realize that? You're going to watch for something, it's based on love. I'm telling you, this is the greatest Nicholas Sparks movie ever. All right? <clears throat> it motivates love. I'm watching for someone that I love. I don't anticipate someone I don't like. And I definitely don't anticipate my enemy. But Jesus is telling us to think differently. Watch this. In Matthew 43, it says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father God. Do you want me to read it again? Watch this. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. 
in order to be the children of the Father in heaven, he's asking us that we must love our enemies. <laughs> you know how we recognize the sons and daughters is the way that we love our enemies. <laughs> that was free. Love is the beginning and the end. If God is love, and God is the Alpha and the Omega, love is the beginning and the end. Begins with love and ends with love. True love enters into this world to draw us closer to people's pain. You know how I know? Because it's called Emmanuel. God with us. Love with us. This is a reading from the Advent book of uh, Mr. Thomas Rice says the, the name Emmanuel mentioned in Isaiah 7:14 and, and um, Isaiah 8:8 8, 8 was not given to anyone else. Perhaps it would say more about the child than anyone would normally dare. It means God with us. Matthew's whole gospel is framed by this theme. At the very end, Jesus promises that he will be with his people to the close of the age. Jesus's name also has the same meaning as Joshua, the Lord saves who brought the Israelites into the promised land after the death of Moses. The two names together express the meaning of the story. God is present and he's with his people. He doesn't intervene from a distance, but is always active and expressing his love in unexpected ways. God's actions are aimed at rescuing people from a helpless plight, demanding that he take the initiative and do things people had regarded as, so to speak, inconceivable. The way that Jesus loves, the way that God loves is not <laughs> the way we love typically. We have our own way that we think we should show love. But the reality is that God shows it in a way. Who would have thought, if you were like some, a friend of God, would you be like, hey God, how about you send like your son down as a baby and then let him grow up for like 30 years and then like three years of ministry and then like let him down across, let him rise again. And then that's how we're gonna show the people love. There is no way that I'm thinking that. I'm thinking like epic Iron Man, come down, take this whole thing over, crush the Roman empire and let's start all over. That's how we think. Why? Because that's how we want to show love. <laughs> I come to show you a new way. This is the God and this is the Jesus whose boundless love for the world is expressed in the story that Matthew has set before us today. You see, love is with us, love is in us, and now we have the ability to have love be through us. Because even though that Jesus has ascended. He left us the Holy Spirit. Why? Just as Christy was alluding to today, he's in us. If you say to yourself today, I can't love like that, let Jesus love you like that. Let God love you like that. You guys hearing today? I, I think the only way that's appropriate to close this time together today as we've been together is to actually find ourselves at the Lord's table through one of the greatest acts of love. One of the greatest acts of love that the Son has shown us is his death and resurrection. This love I'm gonna talk about in this time of, our time of um, the Lord's table. I just have a reading here. I'm just gonna read us this as you listen. This is love 
Is this love possible that I've been talking about? At one level it is. But again, Jesus' teaching isn't just good advice. This is what I love about the gospels. It's not just good advice. It's actually the good news. Jesus did it all himself and opened up a new way of being human, a new way to love so that all who follow him can discover it. When they mocked him, he didn't respond. When they challenged him, he told quizzical, sometimes humorous stories that forced them to think differently. When they struck him, he took the pain. When they put the worst bit of Roman equipment on his back, the heavy cross piece on which he would be killed, he carried out of the city to the place of his own execution. When they nailed to them the cross, he prayed for them. If this is the way to show what God's love is really like, if this is the pattern that Jesus himself followed exactly, Matthew's inviting us to draw to the conclusion that in Jesus we see the Emmanuel, the God person with us. The Sermon on the Mount isn't just about how to behave. It's about discovering the living God in the loving and dying Jesus and learning to reflect that love ourselves into the world that needs it so badly. The Lord's table offers us this reminder how to love the way Jesus demonstrated to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Out of his love for us, today as we receive, we'll, we'll come up here and we'll receive the bread and you'll hear this phrase. His body was, this is his body broken for you. And this is his blood shed for you. Jesus came into a fallen world in what would look like a broken relationship. And Jesus came, and I said this earlier, to a world of sin in need of salvation, which is why it's crucial for us to see ultimately that Jesus is God's son. The problem of sin needed a divine solution. Your solution to your situation today may need a divine solution. Part of the purpose of the virgin birth of Jesus is to show us that salvation doesn't come from man, but from God. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves from our sins, which is evident even in the way that Jesus entered the world. This baby born in Bethlehem was and is the center of all history. If you'll stand with me today. something in your heart today there may be individuals there may be others that he is talking to you about today the table is where reconciliation happens the table is where reconciliation happens and today as you receive from the table of the Lord may reconciliation happen in you and him first and as you leave today as we end after we partake of this communion time together, may you find reconciliation at the table of your homes with neighbors, friends, and enemies. I'm going to have us be dismissed as the, we'll exit out the outsides and up the...